Good morning, Hillcrest Baptist. Lovely to see you. Truly a sight for sore eyes. As the church gets fuller, we praise God for that. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we come together as your children and we gather together in the name and power of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we would ask that this morning, as we meet with you and we listen to your word, we pray that you would speak to us that by your Spirit, you would convict us and you would move us to live lives that are pleasing to you. We plead for this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, we are going to be reading the first four verses together. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So, this morning we are going to be thinking about leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy. During my quiet times, I've been working through the book of Hebrews, and um, I've shared some of my thoughts of leaving a legacy with the, the elders and the missions committee with short devotion, but I really um, thought it worthy of bringing the example of Abel to you and the legacy that he left. So our focus this morning is going to be on verse 4, uh, the life of Abel. But uh, towards the end, I'm going to pick up some of the examples in the whole of chapter 11 when we get there. So, as you get a bit older, perhaps let's call it a bit more mature in life, I think we, it's almost universal that we become concerned with certain questions. And questions such as, so what actually have I done with my life? What have I done with my life? Or of what significance has it been that the Lord has given me so many years on this planet? Have these years that I've been here in fact counted for anything? And have they made an impact on anyone? What legacy am I leaving for my family for my children, for my friends around me, and for the church. So we're going to be thinking about these types of questions as we turn to the life of Abel 
and think about the legacy that he left for us. We're going to have three headings. The first heading is a definition of a legacy. What are we talking about with a legacy? The power of a legacy of righteousness is our second heading. And the third heading, how to build a legacy of righteousness. And then we are going to spend some time just applying this to your and my lives here and now. I just want to tell you that the three headings that we're going to go through are going to be fairly quick uh, because I want to spend quite a bit of time on the personal application and what it means for us here at Hillcrest Baptist, which is going to be a little bit longer. So let's jump into the first heading, a definition of a legacy. So here we find in verse 4, let's read it together again. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So that is what a legacy is. Somebody has died, they've passed away, but their life still speaks. It still has an impact. How cool is that? That you can still speak after you have died and passed away. So as you know, um, Kerry and I have got two girls, Jamie and Lori. What is going to happen to them when Kerry and I pass away? What decisions are they going to make? How are they going to manage their lives and the difficult things that are going to confront them? Kerry and I are not going to be there anymore. But a legacy means that Kerry and I can still speak to them after we have died. That is amazing. That's wonderful. Here at Hillcrest Baptist, um, I'm an elder here at Hillcrest Baptist, in 30 or 40 years' time, what is Hillcrest Baptist going to look like? Is it still going to be a faithful church? Well, I can still speak to this church even though I've passed away. That is what a legacy is. It is being able to speak to people with the life that you have lived after you have passed away. So just when you, when the church might have thought, well, we finally... Andrew's passed on and we don't have to listen to any of his sermons, I might preach to you from the grave with my legacy. The second heading then, you can see we're going through them quite quickly, the power of a legacy of righteousness. So look at verse 4 again. It was not just any legacy that Abel left the world, it was a legacy of righteousness and there was great power in that. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So Abel did not just leave us any legacy. He left us a legacy of righteousness. So I estimate that Abel lived about eight to 10,000 years ago. 
So yes, by that I give a I give away that I do believe in a young earth. And as you look at the genealogies of um, from Genesis, the creation going through, I know we can't give an exact date, but I certainly don't believe in millions of years of creation. So plus minus eight to ten thousand years. Abel died that long ago. When the book of Hebrews was being written, so that means Abel was, had been dead six to 8,000 years. And his life was still speaking at the time when they were writing the book of Hebrews. That is what it says. And now 2,000 years onwards, Abel is still speaking to the church and to people. That is powerful. That is a powerful legacy that he left. Now, I suppose everybody leaves a legacy, Right? We, we, have, we look in history and we see that there have been legacies of wickedness, legacies of infamy, things that we want to forget. I suppose there have been some legacies of indifference. And then we have here with Abel a legacy of righteousness that is left for the world. Now when we look at the text... It says that God commended Abel because for his righteousness in that he offered an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. We don't quite know exactly what made it acceptable. There are two main views. The first is that God had revealed to Cain and Abel that you need to bring a sacrifice of blood to me, and so you have to kill an animal. And that was going to prefigure the Old Testament sacrifices and then Eventually, the sacrifice of Christ, where he died on the cross for us. Abel believed and trusted the promises of God and his word, and he brought then an, a sacrifice of blood to the Lord. Cain thought he knew better, and he was going to bring his veggies to God, and it was not acceptable to the Lord. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that it was simply the manner in which they brought the sacrifice. Abel was a man who loved the Lord. He trusted in him. He obeyed him. He had, a, he had a life of righteousness. And so he brought the sacrifice in that manner to the Lord, out of love and devotion and obedience to the Lord. Whereas Cain, his heart actually wasn't in it. He didn't really love the Lord or wasn't concerned about the things of the Lord. And he just brought a sacrifice to the Lord in that manner. And it was not acceptable to God because we are told without faith it is impossible to please God. Whichever it was, here is this man Abel. He loves God. He's obeying God. He's living for God. And he brings a sacrifice that pleases the Lord. And the Lord testifies to Abel, of Abel, that he has lived a godly life, and he's righteous in his sight. So where does the power come from? Here we see a man who, who was righteous and a legacy, a life that he lived that speaks thousands of years, thousands of years into the future. That's real power. So where does that kind of power come from? Well, Abel lived a life that honored the Lord. It was through faith that he trusted and obeyed the Lord the Lord then honored the life of Abel, didn't he? We find in, in verse 4 that it says, 
God commended Abel. God himself testified to this man, he is a righteous, godly man. And the Lord then sealed that testimony for us in the scriptures. So that in the book of Genesis, we've got an account of Abel's life and what happened to him and his righteousness. And in the book of Hebrews, the Lord sealed the testimony of Abel for us so that he has left a legacy to us of righteousness. And it teaches us a principle, and this is where the power comes from of the legacy of a righteous life, is that the Lord honors the life of the righteous. He honors it and he establishes it and makes sure that it will have some form of legacy to those around him. That is exactly what Psalm 37 teaches us, doesn't it? I'm just going to read a few verses from Psalm 37 just to show you the Lord preserves the legacy of his people, but the lives of the wicked God casts away. Psalm 37, verses 1 to 2. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. They are going to come to nothing. Look at verses 9 to 11. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Verses 18 to 20. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. And we could turn to a lot of other passages in the Old and the New Testament to say that the life of the wicked, there's a real sense in which the Lord trashes their legacy. That's pretty sad, isn't it? The life that they have lived, the Lord is not going to establish it. He's not going to prosper it, and he's not going to bless it. But the life of the righteous, the Lord is going to shine a spotlight on them. He's going to give them an inheritance forever, and we know spiritually speaking, they have an eternal hope, and the Lord prospers them. And that is exactly what happened to Abel. Abel was murdered in the prime of his life. And Cain got to live much longer in this world. How fair is that? So what does the Lord do about that? The Lord blesses Abel and his life and his righteousness. And his life is still speaking, us, speaking to us today. The Lord honored the life of Abel. His legacy was not cut short. It was blessed and empowered so that it still speaks to us today. And so the Lord honors a righteous life. He shines a light on it. 
and it will influence and bless those uh, around that life, and it will speak after the person has died. It might be a fairly small legacy with uh, not such a big influence. It might be a legacy that has quite wide influence, like William Carey. It will have a powerful legacy because the Lord establishes it. But the legacy of the wicked, the Lord throws it away and trashes it. It is a legacy that has not honored him. Our third heading, how to build a powerful legacy of righteousness. Well, the text tells us it is by faith, and the whole of Hebrews chapter 11 is by faith the Lord did these things. So what is faith and how does it work? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells us what faith is. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, faith is simply this. It is believing and trusting and being really convicted and certain of God and God's word. That is what faith is. It believes and it trusts so that it acts on behalf of God and his word. It is a life that is so convinced of God and his word that it embraces that word and it makes decisions based on that word. So faith is a strong belief. It's more than that. It is a conviction. It is more than that. Faith is a certainty. It is a certainty of God, his promises, and his word that moves a life to live for the Lord and to press hard after the Lord. I just want to remind you that faith is not a power in and of itself. There is such a widespread movement in the church today that people think like faith is like this power of positive thought. If I can just make myself believe something um, strong enough, it's going to do this wonderful magic type stuff in the heavenly realms and in the spiritual powers and that's where the power comes from not at all the power of faith is in the object the lord god the power rests with him not with us and faith simply causes us to believe to trust and to obey the lord that is what faith does for us the power is all his he's going to do the work he wants us to believe and trust in him. And there are two primary actings of faith in our lives. There's faith for salvation. We are sinners. We hear the gospel. We hear God speaking to us of coming judgment, of the need for forgiveness, and we put our hope and our trust and our lives into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we then receive a righteousness from him, and we stand blameless in his sight, justified. We don't make ourselves righteous. We receive a righteousness through faith. And so we stand before the Lord as forgiven, blood-bought believers. But the second acting of faith is that it energizes and empowers a godly life. And that is primarily what Hebrews chapter 11 is speaking about. 
men and women, boys and girls, who so trusted the word of God that their lives were lives of righteousness and obedience, and they all left a legacy, didn't they? This Hall of Fame, then, is about people who embraced God and they lived lives that pleased him and they had a legacy of righteousness. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 13. It's kind of like a little summary verse. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them, they greeted them from afar. Some translations will say they embraced them, they took hold of them, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Some translations will translate it, and they confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. That is what these people did. They embraced God. They were filled with conviction and certainty of who God is and his promises to them. And they lived lives that honored the Lord. And so the Christian life is simple. It's difficult because of our sin, but it is simple. The Christian life is centered on believing and trusting in an almighty God and living your life trusting in his word. That is the, the secret of building a life of legacy. It's not complicated. It's fairly simple. It is difficult. And we're now going to come to some of those difficulties. So that's my three points for the sermon. And now we're going to just spend uh, a little bit of time <clears throat> thinking about some personal application and being inspired by these people from Hebrews chapter 11, this hall of fame. <clears throat> I just want to ask you just to stop with your life now. I'm just, in this, in this time, just if you can hit a pause button in your life. No doubt your life is filled with dreams, with ambitions, with things that you are busy doing and filling your life with. I'm just asking you just to stop everything about your life just for these few minutes and reflect on this. So, so if you had to die now, right now, what legacy of righteousness have you left the world? What is your life going to speak about to your children if you have to die now, if you do have children? or to your friends around you, or even to this church. If you had to die now, what legacy would you have left to your family and the people around you? Have you built a legacy of righteousness in your life that you are leaving this world? This world desperately needs legacies of righteousness. And God calls each one of us to live that righteous life so that when we die, our life can still speak. What are you doing with your life? Just stop and think. Our lives get so filled 
with plans, ambitions, dreams, desires, we don't actually stop to think of what is important and what really matters. The Lord our God calls each one of us to live a righteous life before him, right now. In the New Testament are so many verses where the Lord declares his will to you and I. Things like, in the church, people need to be loved, they need to be cared for, they need to be prayed for, we need to be evangelizing the lost, they are going to hell every second of every day, people are going to hell. And so the Lord calls his people to live lives that honor him in a gathering like this. Bear one another's burdens. Disciple each other. Be involved in each other's lives. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Come together. Love each other. Pray for each other. Be involved in missions and outreach. These things are not matters of gifting. You, you don't need the gift of love. You need to obey and love others. It is a matter of obedience. All these things that God has given to us. There are some things that rely on gifting. So if you think you might be called to preach or something like that and you try it a few times and the brothers say to you, um, maybe this is not your gifting. Can you make a cup of tea though? Um, and then we respond to that and we go and make a cup of tea, right? But the things that God has laid before us are not matters of gifting. They are matters of obedience and they're matters of righteousness. Are you taking God's word and his promises and his instructions to you? Are you embracing them? And do they characterize your life? If they do, you are building a legacy of righteousness. And if you are not, you are not building a legacy of righteousness and you are going to have nothing to leave this world Meaning that, that is meaningful, and that's extremely sad. I just want to mention a few things that, as we're part of a church body, that we hear people saying as to why they are not serving. And being part of a vibrant Christian church doing the work of the Lord. Overcoming insecurities. Overcoming insecurities. So I've heard so many people say, you know what, I'm an introvert, I'm socially awkward, you want me to be on the welcoming committee and say hi to strangers, are you crazy, I can't do that, do you want me to phone another person in the church and say I'd like to take you for some coffee and just find out how you are doing and what I can pray for you about and encourage you, I can't do that. I'm socially awkward, um, I'm very shy, and I just can't do that. I want to speak to you, I just want to mention to you about the life of Moses. So in Exodus chapter 3, the Lord calls him to lead this great nation. What did Moses say at the burning bush? Oh Lord, I've been waiting for you. How come it's taken you so long? I am ready for this. 
I've been doing my spiritual push-ups for the last 20 years. I have just reread Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I've maybe just finished my spiritual MBA in terms of macroeconomics, how to lead a country and a people, and I'm ready. Let's go. Was that Moses? Moses was actually quite awkward and insecure, wasn't he? He, in fact, argued with the Lord, even to the point of rudeness. Lord, don't you know that when I was in Cairo Senior Primary, I could hardly stand up in front of the class and do my oral. I stammered and I stuttered and I was so embarrassed. I can't talk. Please find somebody else. Lord, when I got to Cairo High, I wasn't head boy. I wasn't even a prefect. I'm not leadership material. Don't, don't look at me. Choose someone else to do this great work. That is what Moses said. He was, he was not pumped full of self-confidence. He was, in fact, insecure, doubted that he could do this great thing. And yet, what does Hebrews 11 tell us? Moses went on to be one of the greatest leaders the world has ever seen. Not because he was great, because the Lord called him, and by faith, he trusted in a great God that could use him as an instrument to do great things. He believed, and he trusted, and he embraced God's word, and he did things that were awkward for him to do, that he didn't feel equipped to do. Look at Hebrews 11 verses 32 to 35. It kind of captures that sentiment so nicely. And what more shall I say? For time will fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. And listen to this. They were made strong out of weakness. They were not great in themselves. They were weak. But they were made strong as they trusted in a great God and obeyed when God called and said that they needed to do something. They became mighty in war. Some of the translations say they became valiant or courageous in war. What does that mean they were before? They were cowardly. They were scared. And as they trusted the Lord and embraced his word, they became valiant and mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight and women received back their dead by resurrection. Moses wasn't a superhero. None of these people were superheroes. They were weak. They were scared. But they trusted in a great God and in what he called them to do. And so, by faith, they went and did that. And they lived a life of righteousness. And we read about them here, leaving legacies of righteousness by simply trusting in a great God embracing his word and saying to the Lord, 
I don't feel equipped to do this, but you tell me to do it, and I will go and do it to your glory. That is what they did. Many of our excuses are simply those. They are excuses and not valid. I want to speak about overcoming past sin and baggage. You might be saying, do you know that I've actually lived a terrible life before I became a Christian? The Lord has saved me, yes, but I don't believe that God would want to use me. My life, I don't think, has real value in the kingdom because I've essentially thrown my life away through the way I used to live. All I want to say is that one of the ladies in Hebrews chapter 11 was a prostitute. She lived a life of degradation, of perversity, of impurity. She too, when she heard that Israel was coming and that Yahweh had delivered the nation and that they were coming to take over the land of Canaan, she too turned to the Lord, believed and trusted in him and lived a life and made decisions trusting in that word. And she has a legacy of righteousness for the world. She overcame all those past feelings of guilt. She trusted and she believed. And she even became an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? How God can transform a life. And that even that life of previous worthlessness and impurity can be transformed into a legacy of righteousness that we read about today and inspires us. I want to speak about overcoming fear and self-preservation. So sadly today, we are living in a time where people have gone into COVID hibernation and they are not coming out. In the evangelical church, the church that should be filled with believers, there are a lot of Christians who are not coming back to church. They are remaining isolated. There are many churches which are gathering, wanting to do the work of the Lord, and they cannot even get people to volunteer for their rosters. They're struggling to get people to serve. They can't get people to pray, do all types of things. Essentially, if we have to be honest, people staying away out of fear and self-preservation. God's command and his will to you and I is be part of a church, be involved, be serving, be preaching the gospel, care for each other, pray for each other, share each other's burdens. And you cannot do that online, and you cannot do that remotely. COVID, we're on level one now. We're going to have a missions conference soon. People are going to hell every single day. We need to get on with the work of the Lord. And if you are being crippled by self-preservation, and I want to tell you that that is sin, 
There's more chance of you being killed driving in your car to church than there is of you catching COVID and dying from it. Before COVID started, if you'd have come to us as a church and said, look, no, I'm really quite scared about driving in my car. I'm sorry, I'm not coming to church. It would simply not have been acceptable because the Lord doesn't call us to self-preservation. He calls us to faithfulness. And I'm not saying be reckless. Wear your mask, sanitize. If you're not an anti-vaxxer, then go and get your vaccine. But Gideon, in this chapter here, he had to attack an army of 10,000 people with 300. If he was governed by self-preservation, he would have just said, no, I'm going to fight this war online. Obviously, you couldn't do that. He had to grab his weapons. He had to go into war against 10,000. What was going through his mind? The Lord is with me, and the Lord has told me to do this, and I'm going to do it. He embraced God and his word and his will for his life, and he went and did it. And he was made strong out of weakness. He was cowardly. And he was given courage. And that's how he went and served the Lord. It's not to cast judgment on, on people. There might be times where you do have to isolate. You've got symptoms or some uh, unique circumstances. But I just want to say my convictions are, if you are staying at home out of self-preservation, we can't get people on rosters to serve to help, to come together, that is not leaving a legacy of righteousness, that is not trusting in the Lord. I'm not saying, come to, the, come to church, serve the Lord, and you're not going to get COVID. I'm not saying that. You might, in fact, get COVID, and you might die. Do you know that every single person in Hebrews chapter 11, except for Enoch, died? They died at some stage or other, so what legacy, what legacy are you leaving in COVID hibernation where you're simply fearful about self-preservation? I don't believe that is a legacy worthy of emulation. And so I am speaking directly to us as a church. We've got work to do. We've got a Lord to serve. And we need to get on with it. And we need to trust in the Lord. Wouldn't it be a pity? Wouldn't it be a pity if you remain in COVID hibernation and you go to the shop and you get COVID and you die? Wouldn't you rather be active and involved in serving the Lord and get COVID and die? Amen. Let's do that. So it's not being reckless, it is simply a call from the Lord to service. All of these people died. Look at verses 36 to 38. This is the legacy that they have left you and I. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. 
They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves and earth, as they pursued hard after the Lord. Self-preservation cannot dominate your life, and you cannot use it as an excuse not to be serving the Lord. It is sin, and we need to get on with the work of the Lord, and we have to trust him that our lives are in his hands. And I just want to mention one last one. Just overcoming self-fulfillment. The one thing that COVID has sought, certainly taught me is how inconvenient it is to come to church. It was, it was so easy. Uh, lockdown level five. You roll out of bed in your slippers, have a cup of coffee and watch online church. It's taught us that it's actually quite inconvenient to come to church. It's quite inconvenient to go to home group. It's in fact quite inconvenient to be serving others. It costs. There's a cost to following the Lord. Our lives are so wrapped up in self-centeredness, quality of life, and self-fulfillment. The things, especially in the Western world, that tend to dominate our lives, sport, hobbies, recreation, entertainment, our work and our job and major uh, ambition, comfort and convenience. And the ser serving the Lord is inconvenient and it takes time. And you cannot have a life dominated by self-centeredness, quality of life, self-fulfillment, and leave a legacy of righteousness. There is a cost. There is a cost. Moses, it says that he gave up what most people dream of. He was in Pharaoh's palace. He had access to all the money that he wanted, all the luxury and convenience, and it says that he gave that up to go and wander in the desert for 40 years, suffering the affliction of Christ. But it was because he loved the Lord and he trusted in the Lord that this was God's call on my life and I'm going to go and do it. Do you really want to leave a legacy that you're the world's best quilter? Now, I'm so sorry if you're a quilter and I've offended you and I'm great that you've got a hobby. That is not the legacy you want to leave your children. My mom was just such a great quilter. No. You want to leave a legacy of righteousness. I followed after the Lord. I lived for him. I sacrificed and I obeyed. And that's what you leave your children. You don't want to leave a legacy for your children that you got to single-figure golf handicap. You don't want to leave that legacy for your children. Great if you play golf. Great if you do quilting. They are hobbies given by God. It's not to make judgment on people. But they cannot dominate and consume your life as, is this, as if this is the legacy you want to leave the world. Maybe the race that you are training for, that you've shaved off 3.25 minutes of your time, Great that you're involved in sport. You need to be involved in sport. That's not the legacy you want to leave the world, right? You want to make sure that you are preoccupied with doing things 
that really matter, that build a life of legacy. And I'm going to end there. I asked you as we started this final section is just to stop your life and just think, just think, what are you doing with your life? Are you leaving your children a legacy of righteousness? Are you leaving Hillcrest Baptist a legacy of righteousness? Are you leaving your family a legacy of righteousness? As William Carey said, don't succeed and do well things that don't matter. Don't, don't leave that. Make sure in our lives we are trusting the Lord, we are overcoming all of our insecurities, and we are pressing hard after the Lord, obeying his word, and leaving a life of legacy for the world when we have gone. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, you have given us a few moments here on earth. You have given us precious lives. And I would ask one thing of you, Lord, that none of us here this morning might have heard your word to us and these legacies that are before us that we might have heard and we will leave this place now and just carry on with our lives indifferent to your call. Please, by your Spirit, would you now convict us to turn and to follow hard after you with these few moments that we have left in this world. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.